Chapter Eight of A Country Doctor by Sarah Orne Jewett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: A Great Change. Until the autumn of this year, life had seemed to flow in one steady, unchanging current. The thought had not entered little Nan Prince's head that changes might be in store for her, for ever since she could remember, the events of life had followed each other quietly and except for the differences in everyday work and play caused by the succession of the seasons, she was not called upon to accommodate herself to new conditions. It was a gentle change at first. As the days grew shorter and the house and cellar were being made ready for winter, her grandmother seemed to have much more to do than usual, and Nan must stay at home to help. She was growing older at any rate. She knew how to help better than she used to. She was anxious to show her grandmother how well she could work and as the riverside and the windy pastures grew less hospitable, she did not notice that she was no longer encouraged to go out to play for hours together to amuse herself as best she might, and at any rate keep out of the way. It seemed natural enough now that she should stay in the house and be entrusted with some regular part of the business of keeping it. For some time Mrs. Thatcher had kept but one cow, and early in November, after a good offer for old Brindle had been accepted, it was announced, to Nan's surprise, that the young cow, which was to be Brindle's successor, need not be bought until spring. She would be a great care in winter time, and Nan was to bring a quart of milk a day from Jake and Martin's. This did not seem an unpleasant duty, while the mild weather lasted. If there came a rainy day, one of the kind neighbors would leave the little pail on his way to the village before the young messenger had started out. Nan could not exactly understand, at last, why Mrs. Jake and Mrs. Martin always asked about her grandmother every morning with so much interest and curiosity, or why they came oftener and oftener to help with the heavy work. Mrs. Thatcher had never before minded her occasional illnesses so much, and some time passed before Nan's inexperienced eyes and fearless young heart understood that the whole atmosphere which overhung the landscape of her life had somehow changed, that another winter approached full of mystery and strangeness and discomfort of mind. And at last a great storm was almost ready to break into the shelter and comfort of her simple life. Poor Nan! She could not think what it all meant. She was asked many a distressing question, and openly pitied, and heard her future discussed, as if her world might come to an end any day. The doctor had visited her grandmother from time to time, but always while she was at school, until vacation came, and poor Mrs. Thatcher grew too feeble to enter into even a part of the usual business of the farmhouse. One morning, as Nan was coming back from the dyer farm with the milk, she met Mrs. Meeker in the highway. This neighbor and our heroine were rarely on good terms with each other, since Nan had usually laid herself under some serious charge of wrongdoing, and had come to believe that she would be disapproved in any event, and so might enjoy life as she chose, and revel in harmless malice. The child could not have told why she shrank from meeting her enemy so much more than usual, and tried to discover some refuge or chance for escape, but, as it was an open bit of road and a straight way to the lane, she could have no excuse for scrambling over the stone wall and cutting short the distance. However, her second thought scorned the idea of running away in such cowardly fashion, and not having any recent misdemeanor on her conscience, she went forward, unflinchingly. Mrs. Meeker's tone was not one of complaint, but of pity and insinuating friendliness. "'How's your grandma to-day?' she asked, and Nan, with an unsympathetic answer of about the same, 
stepped bravely forward, resenting with all her young soul the discovery that Mrs. Meeker had turned and was walking alongside. "'She's been a good, kind grandma to you, ain't she?' said this unwelcome companion, and when Nan had returned a wondering but almost inaudible assent, she continued, "'She'll be a great loss to you, I can tell you. You'll never find nobody to do for you like her. There, you won't realize nothing about it till you got older than you be now. But the time'll come when—' and her sharp voice faltered, for Nan had turned to look full in her face, had stopped still in the frozen road, dropped the pail unconsciously, and given a little cry, and in another moment was running as a chaste wild creature does toward the refuge of its nest. The doctor's horse was fastened at the head of the lane, and Nan knew at last what any one in the neighborhood could have told her many days before, that her grandmother was going to die. Mrs. Meeker stared after her with a grieved sense of the abrupt ending of the coveted interview. Then she recovered her self-possession, and, picking up the forsaken pail, stepped lightly over the ruts and frozen puddles, following Nan eagerly in the hope of witnessing more of such extraordinary behavior, and with the design of offering her services as watcher or nurse in these last hours. At any rate, the pail and the milk, which had not been spilt, could not be left in the road. So the first chapter of the child's life was ended in the early winter weather. There was a new unsheltered grave on the slope above the river, the farmhouse door was shut and locked, and the light was out in the kitchen window. It had been a landmark to those who were used to driving along the road by night, and there were sincere mourners for the kindly woman who had kept a simple faith and uprightness all through her long life of trouble and disappointment. Nan and the cat had gone to live in the village, and both, being young, had taken the change with serenity, though at first a piteous sorrow had been waked in the child's heart, a keen and dreadful fear of the future. The past seemed so secure and pleasant as she looked back, and now she was in the power of a fateful future which had begun with something like a whirlwind that had swept over her, leaving nothing unchanged. It seemed to her that this was to be incessant, and that being grown up was to be at the mercy of sorrow and uncertainty. She was pale and quiet during her last days in the old home, answering questions and obeying directions mechanically, but usually sitting in the least visited part of the kitchen, watching the neighbors as they examined her grandmother's possessions, and properly disposed of the contents of the house. Sometimes a spark flew from her sad and angry eyes, but she made no trouble, and seemed dull and indifferent. Late in the evening Dr. Leslie carried her home with him through the first heavy snowstorm of the year, and between the excitement of being covered from the fast-falling flakes, and so making a journey in the dark, and of keeping hold of the basket which contained the enraged kitten, the grief at leaving home was not dwelt upon. When she had been unwound from one of the doctor's great cloaks, and her eyes had grown used to the bright light of the dining-room, and marilla had said that supper had been waiting half an hour and she did not know how she should get along with a black cat and then bustled about talking much faster than usual because the sight of the lonely child had made her ready to cry nan began to feel comforted it seemed a great while ago that she had cried at her grandmother's funeral if this were the future it was certainly very welcome and already very dear and the time of distress was like a night of bad dreams between two pleasant days it will easily be understood that no great change was made in dr leslie's house the doctor himself and marilla were both well settled in their habits and while they cordially made room for the little girl who was to be the third member of the household her coming made little difference to either of her elders 
There was a great deal of illness that winter, and the doctor was more than commonly busy. Nan was sent to school and discovered the delight of reading one stormy day, when her guardian had given her leave to stay at home, and she had found his own old copy of Robinson Crusoe looking most friendly and inviting in a corner of one of the study shelves. As for school, she had never liked it, and the village school gave her far greater misery than the weather-beaten building at the crossroads ever had done. She had known many of the village children by sight from seeing them in church, but she did not number many friends among them, even after the winter was nearly gone, and the days began to grow brighter and less cold, and the out-of-door games were a source of great merriment in the playground. Nan's ideas of life were quite unlike those held by these new acquaintances, and she could not gain the least interest in most of the other children, though she grew fond of one boy who was a famous rover and fisherman and after one of the elder girls had read a composition which fired our heroine's imagination she worshipped this superior being from a suitable distance and was her willing adorer and slave the composition was upon the moon and when the author proclaimed the fact that this was the same moon which had looked down upon abraham isaac and jacob little nan's eyes had opened wide with reverence and awe and she opened the doors of her heart and soul to lofty thought and high imagination the big girl who sat in the back seat and glibly recited amazing lessons in history and did sums which entirely covered the one small blackboard was not unmindful of nan's admiration and stolidly accepted and munched the offerings of cracked nuts or of the treasured english apples which had been brought from the farm and kept like a squirrel's hoard in an archway of the cellar by themselves Nan cherished an idea of going back to the farm to live by herself as soon as she grew a little older, and she indulged in pleasing daydreams of a most charming life there, with frequent entertainments for her friends, at which the author of the information about the moon would be the favored guest, and Nan herself, in a most childish and provincial fashion, the reigning queen. What did these new-town acquaintances know of the strawberries which grew in the bit of meadow, or the great high-bush blackberries by one of the pasture walls? And what would their pleasure be when they were taken down the river some moonlit night, and caught sight of a fire blazing on a distant bank, and went nearer to find a sumptuous feast which Nan herself had arranged? She had been told that her aunt, that mysterious and beneficent aunt, had already sent her money which was lying idle in the bank until she should need to spend it, and her imaginary riches increased week by week while her horizon of future happiness constantly grew wider. The other children were not unwilling at first to enter upon an inquisitive friendship with the newcomer, but Marilla was so uncongenial to the noisy visitors and so fastidious in the matter of snowy and muddy shoes that she was soon avoided. Nan herself was a teachable child and gave little trouble, and Marilla sometimes congratulated herself because she had reserved the violent objections which had occurred to her mind when the doctor had announced, just before Mrs. Thatcher's death, that his ward would henceforth find a home in his house. Marilla usually sat in the dining-room in the evening, though she was apt to visit the study occasionally, knitting in hand, to give her opinions, or to acquaint herself with various events of which she thought the doctor would be likely to have knowledge. Sometimes, in the colder winter nights, she drew a convenient light-stand close beside the kitchen stove, and refused to wander far from such comfortable warmth. Now that she had Nan's busy feet to cover, there was less danger than ever that she should be left without knitting-work and she deeply enjoyed the child's company, since Nan could give innocent answers to many questions which could never be put to elder members of the Dyer and Thatcher neighborhood. 
Mrs. Meeker was apt to be discussed with great freedom, and Nan told long stories about her own childish experiences, which were listened to and encouraged, and matched with others even longer and more circumstantial by Marilla. The doctor, who was always reading when he could find a quiet hour for himself, often smiled as he heard the steady sound of voices from the wide kitchen, and he more than once took a few careful steps into the dining-room and stood there shaking with laughter at the character of the conversation. Nan, though eager to learn and curious about many things in life and nature, at first found her school lessons difficult, and sometimes came appealingly to him for assistance, when circumstances had made a temporary ending of her total indifference to getting the lessons at all. For this and other reasons she sometimes sought the study, and drew a small chair beside the doctor's large one before the blazing fire of the black birch logs, and then Marilla and her turn would venture upon the neutral ground between study and kitchen, and smile with satisfaction at the cheerful companionship of the tired man and the idle little girl, who had already found her way to his lonely heart. Nan had come to another home, there was no question about what should be done with her and for her, but she was made free of the silent old house, and went on growing taller and growing dearer and growing happier day by day. Whatever the future might bring, she would be sure to look back with love and longing to the first summer of her village life, when, seeing that she looked pale and drooping, the doctor, to her intense gratification, took her away from school. Presently, instead of having a ride out into the country as an occasional favor, she might be seen every day by the doctor's side, as if he could not make his morning rounds without her, and in and out of the farmhouses she went, following him like a little dog or, as Marilla scornfully expressed it, a briar at his heels, sitting soberly by when he dealt his medicines and gave advice, listening to his wise and merry talk with some, and his helpful advice and consolation to others of the country people. Many of these acquaintances greeted Nan with great kindness. She half belonged to them, and was deeply interesting for the sake of her other ties of blood and bonds of fortune, while she took their courtesy with thankfulness and their lack of notice with composure. If there were a shiny apple offered, she was glad, but if not, she did not miss it, since her chief delight was in being the doctor's assistant and attendant, and her eyes were always watching for chances when she might be of use. And one day, coming out from a bedroom, the doctor discovered, to his amusement, that her quick and careful fingers had folded the papers of some powders which she had left unfolded on the table. As they drove home together in the bright noon sunshine, he said, as if the question were asked for the sake of joking a little, what are you going to do when you grow up, Nan?" To which she answered gravely, as if it were the one great question of her life, I should like best to be a doctor. Strangely enough, there flitted through the doctor's mind a remembrance of the day when he had talked with Mrs. Meeker, and had looked up the lane to see the unlucky turkey whose leg had been put into splints. He had wished more than once that he had taken pains to see how the child had managed it, but old Mrs. Thatcher had reported the case to have been at least partially successful. Nan had stolen a look at her companion after the answer had been given, but had been pleased and comforted to find that he was not laughing at her, and at once began a lively picture of becoming famous in her chosen profession, and the valued partner of Dr. Leslie, whose skill everybody praised so heartily. He should not go out at night, and she would help him so much that he would wonder how he ever had been able to manage his widespread practice alone. It was a matter of no concern to her that Marilla had laughed when she had been told of Nan's intentions, and had spoken disrespectfully of women doctors, and the child's heart was full of pride and hope. The doctor stopped his horse suddenly to show Nan some flowers which grew at the roadside, some brilliant cardinals, and she climbed quickly down to gather them. 
There was an unwritten law that they should keep watch, one to the right hand and the other to the left, and such treasures of blossoms or wild fruit seldom escaped Nan's vision. Now she felt as if she had been wrong to let her thoughts go wandering, and her cheeks were almost as bright as the scarlet flowers themselves as she clambered back to the wagon seat. But the doctor was in deep thought and had nothing more to say for the next mile or two. It had become like a bad case day suddenly, and without apparent reason, but Nan had no suspicion that she was the patient in charge whose welfare seemed to the doctor to be dependent upon his own decisions. End of chapter 8